0: The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. It is time for Streetwise with former chief of the New York City Sheriff's Department, former chief of the Seagate Police Department, retired New York City detective, Time Warner Public Access Media Award, Joe Franklin Super Excellence in Broadcasting Memory Lane Award, New York Veteran Police Association Streetwise Productions, host of Streetwise, Mr. Lou Torano. Uh, good evening and welcome back to Streetwise, I have to apologize to my guest who's been holding on. He had a lot of patience, and an important guest like him, I hate to have him hang on this long. A couple of minutes, he was on the line. Anyway, you know who I'm talking about when I just give you his background and description. Anyway, he's uh, you'll see him on uh, Fox. He's a Fox News contributor and analyst. Now, we all know what Fox News is. It's, you know, it's uh, the top cable TV news uh, Uh, station out there he is the executive director of the black spear uh the author of hey the big black lie and you can get that book at the barnes and noble and he's a syndicated talk show host i it's a pleasure to welcome to streetwise kevin jackson kevin welcome to the show
1: You've done your homework, detective. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to I, be here, man. Uh,
0: okay. Hey, listen. A lot of stuff I learned from watching your uh, your uh, commentator on the shows too. You know, <laughs> it works both ways. Uh, okay. Now, uh, there's some I don't know where to start because you, you're you're controversial, yet you're not controversial. Uh, you, you've been called uh, Uncle Tom. Uh, You've been <laughs> called. You've been called a puppet. Uh, I could. I could keep uh, going. All
1: of the white Man, step and fetch it. Opera Thomas, Rush went, Limbaugh wannabe. Uh, I mean, I could go on, dude.
0: I know, but Kevin Jackson is Kevin Jackson. That's what they, that's, that's what right. they have to. That's what they, they have to understand and look at. You, you are who you are. You know, there's so much controversy going on. It's, it's, it, and uh, in my time, I've seen so many changes. I've been around through the uh, the uh, civil rights thing, and uh, I've watched people like Al Sharpton grow up and now grow down because he looks like, uh, I hate to say this but he's got age, which is the rumor and uh, so uh, but from, from your perspective and your book The Big Black Lie, how did that come about?
1: Man, I gotta tell you so the book was written around the lie that hmm. gets told to young black men like when I was a kid, I'm no longer that young but still youngish and uh, you know, just the lie the lie that the Democrats are out to help the lie that white people are evil, and I could just go on with the litany of lies that you get told. And, and, you know, the biggest truth was that you should be judging people by the content of their character, and that's what I did. I grew up in the country. My grandparents were poor. I, I, my mother died when I was five. My dad was mm. in San Quentin. You probably put him there, Lou. <laughs> no. And, um, yeah, <laughs> no, that's, yeah. Well, that's that's a Like you, a white dude, like you did. Yeah, but no, my dad was an arm robber oh, amongst other bad things, and, and uh, mm. yeah, so he was in San Quentin my entire life. My mom raised me, you know, till I was five. She died, uh, you know, just abruptly one day going for surgery. So I was adopted. Me and my brother were adopted. My brother and I rather were adopted by my grandparents. And raised by them, they worked for a wealthy white family, and we moved mm. to their one of their properties, 25,000-acre cattle ranch. And through all of that experience, I lived, as I tell people, rich and poor. I was poor, but I saw life through the rich people's eyes because I saw the things that they did and how they did them, and I marveled at it. Wow. But also noticed how down-to-earth they were, how they wanted to help, how they weren't covetous of their wealth. They wanted to explain to me how to get it, how to keep it and how d- respectful they were of my grandparents and of me as a little boy and all these different things. And I was being told that these are evil people. And I'm going, dude, I, I don't see it. I mean, I'm a kid where we were raising our fist and singing James Brown, Say It Loud, I'm Black, and I'm Proud on the porch. <laughs> right. You know, on the weekends when I was in San Antonio when I went to the ranch to go, you know, be a caretaker for the- this white family. They mm-hmm. were the most amazing people. So it didn't jive. And um, I-, I didn't get sucked into the... The vortex of blackness that everybody had because i didn't have to stay around it and and for the record, Lou, had I stayed around it, I just would have kicked everybody 's butt that told me I was a liar because yeah. i I was experiencing life, not just listening to people tell me about
0: it wow. well we all, we all know this there's, uh, there's racism, but I think it's it's over exaggerated like you said you know you know you know what I like about you among other things is that uh, I've been told, because I live out in Long Island, you're a rich white guy from Long Island. How would you know what's happening, in, you know? Did you, ever, <laughs> did you ever live in the projects? And I want to – see, they don't understand. I raised five kids living in the projects in New York, by the way. When, and, so, and then, of course, when I stopped working my butt off, I was able to afford a down payment out here in Long Island. And – I also used to shine shoes on Times Square. Not that this is your, your, you're my guest, but yet I'm talking only because you dragged me into it. Just a, an analogy. No, it's an analogy. Hey, you know, you know, there was a story written on me, a shine boy from Delancey Street and Times Square, and I ran for Congress in 19. 19- ninety eight. Now, where could you do that? What country can you do that then? I used to shine shoes as <laughs> look a Look at kid. you, Lou. Talking about all
1: that white privilege, I,
0: Yes, and I ran for Congress <laughs> in 1998. I mean, so uh, no, I understand where you're coming from.
1: Look, look. Here's what the story you're telling is that the, is is the age-old saga of America. Right. It doesn't matter what color you are. You know, the majority of us start off not with a silver spoon up our butts. We start off poor, trying to make it. And you know what? That's what makes you want to strive hard. I don't know very many of my rich buddies that worked as hard as I did. Mm. And and there's a reason for that. You got it. You see it. You're around it every day, man. I'm just glimpsing it. You know, I'm just going, whoa, where'd you get that car? Mm. You know, how can you afford a 928 Porsche in college when the rest of us are on bicycles or walking, or we're lucky if we get some hand-me-down Chevrolet? How are you getting a a $60,000 car? you know, in, in the mid-'80s when I was in college, in the early-'80s. Mm. And, and I couldn't figure that out, but but I could see that they had it. And that guy would, you know, the guy, I remember this guy in particular, he would be like, eh, hey, my dad got it for me. Well, I saw that, and I went, I'm going to get one of those one day. He had it. Well, <laughs> how, how much passion did he have to get that car? Right. Zero. So that's the thing, man. That's what, makes, that's what made the Philly fighters and the New York fighters from the Bronx the toughest guys in the world because mm. they wanted to get out. Right. right. But exactly. now we have this freaking snowflake generation. I mean, these guys are, you know, they're either nail biters or or they wet their bedwetters.
0: <laughs> Pick one. Well, you know, it's so true. They're living in they're, they're living in mommy's basement, which is true. We make a joke about that. But they run home to mommy. That's exactly the, the big
1: hunk them. Absolutely
0: right. So,
1: yeah. So, uh, so, you you know, the outcome is. Your job as a police officer, when you were doing it, I mean, it was tough when you were doing it. Can you imagine it today? I mean, holy cow, man, I feel so sorry for law enforcement officers today because they're catching so much grief over policies that the left have implemented that take away people's rationale. There's no more rational thinking. I watched a video, a story about a kid, a black kid, going to college, breaks into a woman's house, a black woman's house. She's got it wired where she can see who's in there. Right. She goes home, confronts the kid, she ends up shooting and killing him, and the, her, his sister and his cousin were like, why did she have to shoot him? All he was doing was trying to get money to pay for his school. They're rationalizing a kid breaking into a woman's home. He, she, he gets shot because she's scared. You know She goes home, and they're rationalizing it. And that's the type of, of think, thought process that goes through people you know, it goes through the mind of people when you guys are doing your job. Yeah, I, it's pathetic. I.
0: Yeah, i Yeah, i see that quite often now more than more than in my in my time. You know, the it's true, but you know, what's sad. The kids are, and the families are brought up to think like that. He's the only one to steal a pocketbook. You don't have to. You don't have to shoot him. Or you don't have. To, you know, I I see that. So, but. Who, whose fault is that uh, Kevin Jackson who do we they got to be they got to be some blame with this terrible change where uh, you know I, I what I know this is that in eight years of Barack Obama the country has, has actually been divided you know sure I, I that's that's my observation but here's the
1: thing. I don't I don't just blame Obama it's certainly a Absol- big part it's of a big ball yes no, no question about it yeah but the bigger blame And and this is going to make some people mad, but I don't care. The bigger blame is on the guys that listen to you and me. Because you know what? We allow it. We, over the decades, have watched this slow slip into liberalism and Mm. the leftism uh, occur, and we've been afraid to fight it. You're a racist if you go against this, or you're a sexist if you go against that, or you're xenophobic or hobophobic or or whatever. And so we take it because we're too busy. We're like, man, I don't have time for that. So guess what? Every time we said we didn't have time for it because we were playing with the kids or trying to make a living or whatever, and we ignored it, we allowed that one voice to be heard. And that one voice is a voice of lunacy. It's a voice that says, I don't see the correlation between Muslim, you know, Muslim terror in the United States and the influx of Muslims. It says, I don't see the correlation mm. of our society and our economics and our school system being dragged down, our, our medical system being dragged down and all these systems, our welfare system being dragged down by the number of illegals that we allow to come into the country. It's, it's a system that says, I'll ignore the overt, abject racism of the left that will start things like Black Lives Matter and, and ridicule you or, or want to beat you up if you say all lives matter. Hmm. We've ignored it. And that's what I talk about in all of my books is, how, how much will you ignore? Let me ask you this, Lou. How many of your audience members, which are a bunch of law enforcement guys and some tough dudes, some headcrackers, how many of you (laughs) guys would let somebody come up, push your, or punch your kid to the ground, and you go, oh, that's okay, I know you didn't mean to do it. Let me answer for the the audience. None of
0: you. Yeah, yes,
1: yes. But see, we we ignore what's happening to our kids. Our kids are being kicked in the crotch, punched in the face, and every other metaphor you want to use. But we don't see it that way right now because it isn't happening the way I described it. But that's what is happening. Your kids are going to college. And, and your professors are molesting him, telling them God oh. doesn't exist, telling them cops suck and want to kill black people. Right. And you go, hey, it's okay. Go ahead and beat the crap out of my kid. It's no problem.
0: Mm. You're absolutely right. But, you know, something, because of this, that I, I think the silent majority, what you're talking about, sort of felt it. And that's one of the reasons why I think Donald Trump won. Because, of course. Yes. Because they got fed up. And the only way he could make a change was in the voting booth. And that's exactly what happened. The same old, same old. Well, I'm I'm going to disagree
1: with you. I'm going to disagree with you that that's the only way you can make a change. The only way you, the way you make a change is you take a scrappy kid like me that's got four black belts and a bad attitude, Right. and every time somebody tells me, <laughs> Kevin, Donald Trump sucks, I go, no, Hillary <laughs> Clinton sucks. And so do you for supporting her. Because when you get in their faces, you know what happens to the bullies, guys? Come on, you, all these guys bullies. are tough guys. Bullies do not mess with people. You don't have to beat a bully up. You just let a bully know he ain't going to get out of it easy. But bullies, That's all you yeah, got to do.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Bullies are basically cowards. get they down, are. When you get down... Get down to it. You mentioned a moment ago the left and liberalism. Now, one of the things that that you preach is that race pumping and liberalism is a multi-trillion dollar business.
1: Not race pumping, race pimping.
0: I'm sorry. Pimping? Oh, not <laughs> pumping. My God, yes. Maybe I was being kind. Race <laughs> pimping. I've seen Al Sharpton do that, by the way, in my time. Of course. Yeah. Yeah,
1: so. look, everything's race pimped. Uh, it doesn't matter what... Donald Trump, he, he's running for president. Had you had anybody said a word about Donald Trump is a racist leading into him declaring as a presidential candidate as a Republican? Mm. I'd never heard it. Right. Okay? Correct. Correct. So w- people love the guy. Black people want to get on the show. Uh, there wasn't a person... That, if Donald Trump threw a party at Trump Tower, Al Sharpton would ask for tickets. Yes. Okay? Absolutely. But suddenly... Uh, pro, once he declared he was going to run for president, now suddenly he's a racist. That's the case. Look, there are people being extorted on because of race in every major city in this country. There's some race pimp in New York in one of the boroughs. There's some race pimp in Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, Austin. There's a rate. Name me your big city. Name me your state. I'll name you your big cities. I guarantee you. Somebody knows who the race pimp is. In Dallas, Texas, it's John Wiley Price. Uh. In Houston, Texas, it's Quan-El LX. Huh. I, I can go on, because yeah. that's, who, that's how you build your reputation, is by blaming the boogeyman. Right. And so everything that happens in those cities, the reason why the schools suck, the reason why the, the crime rate in black neighborhoods is the way it is, the reason why there's a so-called police issue, you name me your problem in that big city, I will tell you the Democrat or the black Democrat and the the racist rabble-rouser that's creating the problem because they aren't going to try to solve the problem.
0: No, no, it's all I know. It's attack, criticize, and that's all it is. There's no solutions. There's no substance, you know. But And, you know, it's the same thing. And Hillary just, you know, and they're doing it now. It's a good point. Trump was a very popular guy prior to him throwing his hat into the ring. Everybody loved him. Everybody would, like you said, would run to Trump Towers or wherever. But once he once he announced, all of a sudden, he's like you said, the boogeyman. He's the big bad guy. Yeah, but you, you know, know what?
1: We we couldn't have, we couldn't have gotten a better guy to say screw you and your racist horse you rode in. On, yes, exactly. Because everybody else would be trying to figure out how they could be con- perceived as non-racist or whatever it right. sounds like. Screw you. And, and here's the sad part. Hillary Clinton uh, called Margaret Sanger, a woman who called black people human weeds. Hmm. She's, she says that's her idol. She and Bill Clinton, as well as Barack Obama, eulogized the Klansmen. And Bill Clinton said, well, he just, he just had a a short stint in the Klan. He was 43 years, Shorts. Robert Byrd, Senator mm. Robert Byrd, was 43 years in the Klan as a grand legal, a recruiter, and he says he had nothing to do with the Klan. It was a tan- tangential relationship. That's not tangential. Right. You know, that's like having a mistress for 43 years and your uh, wife says, well, you just was fooling around a little bit. Uh, I, <laughs> I know, you
0: know, Kevin Jackson, I just want to, just I have to keep saying your names to people when they just... Tune in; they'll they'll recognize your 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 attitude, I should say, you know, and they'll they know who you are. Kevin Jackson's a tremendous uh, Fox contributor, you know, and tremendous. Let me tell you, when I talk about common sense and what's going on and the knowledge of uh, the human being. It's uh, it's uh, Kevin Jackson. Now you know what's, what you know what's said. The Democrats actually created this uh, KKK way back then. It was then, and you know, and I. There's two things I don't understand: why uh, African Americans catered to the Democratic Party and calling everybody Nazis and KKK when that party is the one <laughs> that created way back in the, the Dixiecrats talking about law enforcement, sheriffs were involved in it, and senators, all Democrats, created this KKK. So that's mind-boggling. That's one thing that well, I have isn't to talk about.
1: It, it isn't. It, it's a conveyor belt of ignorance, and it's re- revisionist history, mm. and the Democrats are great at it. So in my second book, Sexy Brilliance and Other Political Lies. I had a chapter where I wrote about a guy named Paul. Mm. Paul ran for Congress in, um, in the Chicago district of Jesse Jackson Jr. He lost, but he was a Republican. But he was a two-time offender, armed robbery both times. Mm. And Paul said to me one day, he says, Kev, I had this celly, and he told me he was a rapist. And he told me, man, I'm the, I was the worst kind of dude, man, because he said I would rape a woman, and then I would make her believe that it was her fault. And and I said no, that's not the worst kind of dude. I said the worst kind of dude is a guy who will rape a woman and then tell her it's that dude's fault. Hmm. And that's what the that's what the Democrats have done. Wow. They've raped black people and then they pointed the finger at another guy and said, now he's the reason why this is happening to you. And she bought it. Right. That's the worst kind of rape. And he stopped and went, you know what, man? That you so right. I know I'm right because I think about this stuff all the time. Hmm. That's what the Democrats did. They, they essentially trained black people to believe that the party that freed them, the party that the one of the first Civil rights Act, I believe it was 1866 uh, was the yes. anti-KKK act, the civil rights of 1866 or 67 Everybody <clears throat> thinks the Civil Rights Act are all you know 1964 60s. and 65 right. Correct. no, there's been dozens of them, and the first one was the anti klan Act against de- Democrats who were trying to intimidate black people back on the plantations. So that was the beginning. And every one of these civil rights acts was authored by a, by a Republican. The 64 Civil Rights Act and the 65 Voting Rights Act were, were authored by a Republican, Everett mm. Dirksen. So yes. look, I don't want to go into the history of it. The fact is yes. the Democrats are more vilely racist today than they ever were when Andrew Johnson took over after uh, Lincoln, and mm-hmm. Andrew Jack Johnson, by the way, was was one of the the only two presidents impeached. Him and Bill Clinton. Right. So the both vile human beings. They don't. They can't stand black folks. And and here's the the key about what's going on today. They they talk about Planned Parenthood as an example as women's mm-hmm. right to choose. And so I've asked all these feminists. So explain to me where you can't go get women's right. Do do they ban you guys from hospitals? Are you banned from uh, urgent care centers? Are you banned from other? Uh, clinics? No. So you have access to all the same places that men go. But you have your own little clinic called Planned Parenthood that you mm. say you, you want to get your breast exam. Well you can get breast exams anywhere. Right. You can get abortions. So what yes. are you doing? If they were true about it, they would tell you the truth. Single women, their babies, go to prison. We want to mm. keep the population of, of the bad part of society down. If they just said to me, Kevin Black people, black women, are not with their fathers much. So they raise thugs, and those thugs commit crimes, and they fill our prisons. And so I, I, we're killing y'all off to, to kind of keep the prison population low and to keep the crime rate down. Yeah. I would at least have respect for them, but they won't do that. They tell us, it's a women's right to choose, Lou.
0: <laughs> I know. You know, it's the same. You, you know, I talk about, you mentioned Chicago a moment ago in the, uh, the race that was there, the... Uh, Election race. Uh, yeah,
1: Jesse Jackson Jesse, Jr.
0: Jesse Jackson uh, Jr. Illinois 2. Mm, Illinois 2. You, you, you know, we, we talk about uh, gun control. I, I'm jumping a little bit because this Las Vegas thing is on everybody's mind. Sure. we we'll talk about it later. But why don't we start gun control in Chicago where at least almost a 1,000 young black youth were killed the, uh, in, within a year? Why do, I, I don't understand. See, I talk about this. Mind-boggling. How are we allowing this to happen? We're losing... Uh, at least a generation of young black kids in Chicago, and nobody's – not even the mayor there. No one's making a big stink about it. We yeah. drift. I mean, we drift you know, and get the, to the Las the Vegas. Control,
1: sorry, Lou, to interrupt. That's right. the Gun control no, issues one aspect of it. The real place where we're losing the best blacks – and this is right. going to be a controversial statement mm. – is they're going to prison. Yes. I want you to think about what it takes, Lou. I asked a CEO this one time. I said to him – he's a big, big company CEO. I won't say who, but I asked him. I said, hey, big-time CEO – I said, let me ask you this. Would you come to work if you knew you could go to jail or get shot or killed? Mm. Would you show up to work tomorrow if those were three of your potential choices? And he chuckled at me. And I said, because let me tell you, buddy, there's a kid. there are kids all over this country. They get up every single day at the butt crack of noon. They go to their shot caller. They pick up their drugs. They go out and hit the streets where one of those three things is a possibility. Arrest, shot, mm. or killed. Yes. One of the one of those is going to happen. And I said, now you finally somebody like Lou is going to arrest them and put them in prison. But I want you to think about the 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 passion you have to have for your job. (laughs) What kind of the mortal, you know, fortitude, intestinal fortitude you have to get up in the morning knowing that. Now, let me ask you this, Lou. How many of these kids? My son graduated from Wharton. But I'll tell you this, he ain't showing up to that job. How many mm. of these Harvard and, and Ivy League grads do you think would graduate college and you say those are your options for your new job? How many of them would you sign know, up? I'll take that job. Yeah. Think about how tough that kid is that does that. Well, and what would happen if you trained him to be something else?
0: Well, you know, I just want to mention something about Pride to being a police prior to being a police officer in the city of New York, I was a New York City correction officer for five years. And I used to say, I can't believe the talent these guys have. You mentioned it. They don't get out they they just maybe get out of elementary school, the kids that were arrested in the jails in my time. And yet, they can they can do the artwork. They're so creative. And if you have a one-to-one conversation, which I did with, with many of them, especially if they were younger, I would say, wow, what a waste of talent, you know? Yeah. So that's, that is so great. And what you said a moment ago, and the reason why they would listen to me, because even though I was a young guy, I spoke to them like a big brother or a father, which... They might have had a big brother, but you said a moment ago they, had, they didn't know who their father was.
1: And right. Well, look, you, you talk to them like human beings. You didn't pat-pat and say, I'm going to help you, little black cook kid, or whatever. <laughs> if Whatever help you would give, it would My be genuine. God. It would be not because you're black. It would be because I see something in you. And I was one of those kids. Now, I'm not dealing drugs or whatever, but I was a, or one of those kids that grew up in the inner city. Right. That, that knew I could be something different, and I never got discouraged because of it. So anyway, back to the guns. Right. The the, the idea of us talking about guns is ridiculous. Hmm. I, I I laugh at this. I, we we created jokes that said, you know, okay, well, the the left always says, well, since we already got these eleven million. Illegals here, but mm. you know we, we've already got the problem. Let's just le- let's just legalize it. Well, I say this: we've already got all these guns on the street. Then let's just legalize them. Mm. You know, let's just let's just leave it alone. Mm. The gun is not the gun is not the problem. The problem is in the inner cities, and you know this. Um, the, the, these kids have to have a gun. So I, I'll give you a perfect example of this guy, Anthony Lamar Smith, who got shot in St. Louis, and the officer Stockley went on trial. So they they said he planted the gun. I'm having an argument with a leftist, and I said, well, then, I'll tell you what. Where was the second gun? And he said to me, what are you talking about? Right. I said, where was the second gun? If the officer planted a gun, where was the second gun? And he didn't get it. Right. I said, "So okay, what you want me to believe is a dude dealing drugs, dealing heroin, making a heroin deal, or, or, or whatever he was dealing, at the time, he didn't have a gun. He's without gat. He's not strapped. And the guy looked at me and went, I said, yeah, exactly. You know and I know that there's no heroin dealer in the hood that does not have a gun. Right. So tell me where the second gun was.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very good point from experience. They, they, they have no choice. They have to carry a gun. It's no You're about dealing it.
1: heroin in the hood, Lou, yep. without a gun? Absolutely. You're the sure. Mother Teresa of heroin dealers. <laughs>
0: uh, I, I know that. You're helping out. Now, let's talk about your book. Now, you have other books out there, uh, Kevin Jackson, besides Yeah, uh, I have the three black...
1: books I've written The Big Black Lies, the first one. The right. second one's Sexy Brilliance and Other Political Lies. And right. the third one is Race Pimping. The multi trillion dollar business of liberalism. I know. And they're no, all so. funny. They're humor based books that that have make a that make a point. Uh and, and so I hope people go to racepimping.com and get the book. But I want to say one quick thing about my movie project. Right. So oh, that's good. have yeah, so we're doing a film around uh we call the film's t- titled Bleeding Blue, and you can check it out at the trailer at bleedingbluemovie.com. dot com. Probably Ooh. be out the first of the year. And it's a, it's essentially a, a real look at the policing in America and, and how the lie started. And I blame Obama for this when we had Professor Gates. Gatesgate was the, was the tipping point of law enforcement getting a target put on their backs. When a neighbor saw a black dude breaking into Gates' house, crawling through the window, and called the cops, and a white cop shows up, rings the doorbell, sees Professor Gates and says, I'm going to need to see some ID. There's a report of a break-in. And Gates says, this is my house. And the guy says, what? What every police officer would say. It probably is, sir, but I'm going to need to see some ID to verify that, because your neighbor called me to say that a man was breaking in. Well, my neighbor knows who I am, blah, blah, blah. And he goes on to read this young white cop, the Riot Act, when in fact, Everything that happened leading up to that moment was exactly the way we've taught society to be. Right. Neighborhood watch can't be, cops can't be everywhere. So neighborhood watch calls. Cop shows up, inquires, I need to see some ID. And instead of just complying and saying, sure, officer, here's my ID, we're all done. Nobody knows about this. He doesn't. He throws a hissy fit. Barack Obama, thousands of miles away, says, well, the cop overreacted. He, he, he should have, shouldn't have done that How does he know What Barack Obama should have done, Lou Is stood up for law enforcement And said, you know, I am friends with with Professor Gates right. However, he did the wrong thing Our system worked Neighbor Whoa. called, cops showed up But oh, he boy. didn't
0: You believe we oh, we got 30 seconds I just want to say that And that's still what you're talking about, Kevin Jackson Is where where he said It was a Connecticut Small Police Department He said they acted stupidly You're right that was yeah. that's that's that triggered a lot of a lot of he, stuff. He off. told you
1: all you needed to know about law enforcement. Yes. Anyway, go to bleedingbluemovie.com. dot B- Bleeding, get, get that again. Bleedingbluemovie.com. Dot com,
0: and also the big black light. Kevin no, Jackson. That's racepimping.com and race, com oh, racepimping.com We're going to see you on Fox. We'll see you on one of them. Oh, when yeah, I send out the soon. press release, I got, I, by the way, I got so many calls on that. I, I want to thank you. I hope I can get you back here when that movie comes out. Let's do it, Lou. Let's do it. Kevin Jackson, God bless. You too. Uh, hang in there. I'm coming right back. Great guest. We're going to talk about the shooting in Las Vegas. you got to come back. Uh, don't change that dial, as I say, Lou Talonto. Hang in there. Come on back. This
1: is WGBB AM1240 and W240 DFFM, 95.9, Freeport, New York. It's, it's important, important to plan ahead for emergencies, like, like the storm. storm. When, when it kicked in, in we, we had a plan. Separated. We, we were, were able to get in touch with each other in and no had time,
2: no idea how to find each other. My, My husband, husband kept the kids tried occupied. our son, but there was no reception. Everything was down. I felt, I felt like we like handled everything very well. To try and stay calm, the,
3: the whole, whole experience
2: was, fine. was the most frightening ten hours of my life.
1: It, it was, was kind of like
2: a little family adventure. hopes will never happen to her. I remember, I remember the, the relief of being together. he was out there all alone. If, if there's, there's one, one
3: piece of
1: advice of I'd offer other moms, moms out, out there, it's to stay it's calm and keep message. to the plan. Some parents plan ahead. Some don't. Make sure you know where to find your family in an emergency. Start your plan at ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council.
0: I'm back, I'm back. Hey, by the way, is there a doctor in the house? Wasn't that a great interview with uh, Kevin Jackson? And hang in there because we're going, we're going right into another great interview. Uh, you know, my guest has been here before. Back in the July, I have the exact date, July 15th. Uh, Right, of, uh, of this year. Okay, my guest is a psychotherapist. That I know, listen, I had got something in my throat last time she was here, and I said, psychotherapist. So I know, isn't that? Okay. Anyway, she's a psychotherapist, clinical counselor, author of uh, at least a half a dozen books. She also has a law enforcement background and great fan of one of the, the – people that I've loved in history, Winston uh, Churchill, but we're going to talk about uh, uh, her thoughts, her opinions on the, uh, yeah, my God, the Las Vegas shooter, I mean, how, how can, all right, I want to welcome back to Streetwise, Dr., uh, my God, they call her bones, by the way, I had to get that in there, you know, and, if, yeah. uh, and Dr. Dorothy McCoy, welcome back to Streetwise.
2: Well, thank you so much, Lou. I'm glad to be back.
0: <laughs> it's good. You know, I know you have your thoughts and your opinion on it. Many of us doing what? What the hell happened in Las Vegas?
2: I almost have too much information now because I've been looking at it so so closely in the beginning because of the sheer enormity of the tragedy. I was just shocked and stunned, and as we all were. And as little by little, the information came out. It it was no clearer who this man is, Mm. uh, what happened, why did it happen, was he alone. And that keeps changing right now. Um, So I'm not, we still don't have all the answers. What I would expect with a mass killer would be one of the usual suspects. A James Holmes mental illness, a, uh, an ISIS terrorist group, domestic violence where other people uh, come involved in it, um, the cartels who are extremely bloody, and at one time the mobs, and of course the gangs, but a retired accountant.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, it just didn't make any sense, especially since they said he was by himself. And he had all of this equipment, and I can see how he could get the equipment up there. I'm, I'm not com- particularly concerned about that. It could right. be done. I can see how he could break out a window. My concern is, why? Why Correct. would a 64-year-old man who has no record do something like this?
0: Well, we got to go to, uh, obviously, we're looking for the motive for what you're talking about. And right. Do we, uh, we look into so his political viewpoints his social behavior in other words uh his his uh, background he was a high-stakes gambler uh, supposedly extremely wealthy you know and no right no prior incidents that we know of that's been out there so the question is based on what the i i have an idea of my thoughts you know on uh-huh. it I'll, I'll mention that in a moment but based on what we see and what we hear uh You know, what would you think the motive would be, you know, in in your experience as a psychotherapist?
2: Well, as I started going back in his history, I began to see some things that were indicators. For instance, his father was diagnosed as a psychopath, and he may very well have been. So it could mean that our shooter had psychopathic tendencies because Some of that can be inherited.
0: It can be. It can be inherited. Okay.
2: Hmm. And, uh, yes, it it certainly can, especially more the impulsivity and the antisocial behavior. Hmm. Now, I looked at his personality type, what I believe is his personality type, from doing hundreds of tests and also testing law enforcement officers, which I only saw one or two of those, by the way, that had his, which I believe is an INTJ. These are math people. These are people that can be distant. They, are, they can be loners sometimes. Not completely. It depends on the, the degree of the traits because we have percentages that go with each one of these traits. And many of our most valuable citizens, like us, a lot of our college professors, are INTJs. Hmm. But this made sense to me because these people can be, and any any personality type can go to the dark side. We know that. Yeah. It's not a good or a bad. But if they do, these people are very talented. They're very organized, hmm. uh, methodical, uh, successful, determined. And all of these things, I thought, you know, that makes sense. We know he could spend time alone because he, it's, it's been said by many people, he could spend three or four hours with a machine mm. gambling. So, And he was a math-based person. He just didn't go and gamble and hope for the best. He, he used probability of cor- according to his brother. So that began to come together. Uh, so what if he was an INTJ, which would be a very talented person, right. who had some psychopathic tendencies that uh, possibly from his father, and we're, mm. still, we're still just, um, we're looking at this.
0: Well, let me say this, I'm, I'm sure you know this person that I'm going to mention that just passed away recently, uh, has uh, wrote a book, uh, "Premial Scream, uh, Arthur Janoff... Psych- uh-huh. uh, psychotherapist i'm sure you've gotta be familiar with him in, uh-huh. uh, right and he in his book that goes back uh i think over ten- over ten years actually he talks about in his book something uh about we talking about uh you know, Stephen uh, Johnoff, the 64 the year old that we just talked about, and you mentioned the psychopathic, uh, he could have inherited this. In his book, going back maybe 20 years, he talks about how uh, uh, childhood drama can surface later, mood disorders can surface later. It could lead into, which I didn't know, maybe aside from drug addiction, I understand, but it could lead into epilepsy. And he could, is this, I'm going to ask you this, because in his book, he's saying that it could. Trigger off traumatic memories. Could that be a th- connection to uh, to uh, Stephen uh, Johnoff?
2: Well, anything's possible, and we're we're talking about Paddock now, right? Hmm. The the killer.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's what okay. I meant. Yes. Sorry. Okay. Paddock. Paddock, not Jonoff.
2: Yes. Okay. Right. now, anything could happen. I I haven't seen anything hmm. that would tell me there was tremendous. Uh, Traumatic experience. I know his his father was taken away from the family. He had been uh, living under another name, another life. Mm. He he sounded quite possibly uh, a psychopath from the things he was able to do. He robbed banks, he conned people. He did not appear Mm. to be a violent person, though. Now, there it's possible that there was some trauma we don't know about, which creates a new neural pathway in the brain. But this man has lived, um, well, he's a risk taker. We know that because of speculating in real estate and also because of the gambling. But there are other things that could happen, Uh, traumatic brain injury. There could have been a brain injury. I ask every single client that comes in, have you had a brain injury? Because that can affect the way they behave depending on what part of the brain. could be a stroke, a small stroke in some part of the brain. Uh, We we don't know a brain tuber. When they do the autopsy, they will find out if there are any of these physiological Uh things going Uh on. But if not, I'm I'm thinking and this is purely my belief now. I'm from what I've seen and mm-hmm. I'm I'm not saying I have any evidence to support it, but this is a man who has a very good brain. He's very cognitive, very intelligent. Mm. I would see he's not an emotional person as and you notice that this was a crime of some distance where some Correct. are more up close and personal. Correct. I would wonder very much about ideology, if whatever he was introduced to an ideology that mm. um, because if they've gone to the dark side, there can be some obsession there. So mm. I would be very interested in finding out um, more about his recent past within the last six months. Anyway, All
0: right now, Stephen Paddock. I just I want to correct you. I, I, what I did was I was talking about the authors, uh, the author of. Uh... Of uh, premium, I hope I'm pronouncing right, primal scream, right? Uh, talks, primal scream, uh, primal very good. I, I figured you you knew what that book was, and the author obviously. And uh, but it, it what, 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 I grabbed, Spay is he was sort of he was a young person when his, his father was wanted by the FBI, Ted most wanted, and I could, I could see where that could you know cause some traumatic. Uh, things to occur, you know, mood is so whatever. So I'm just trying to see if it, this lingered, could this have lingered in him, uh, you know, from childhood or I, I think it was a young adult at the time, uh, because he was 64 year, years old. Is, is this one, this, could this be one of the things that can occur in a person because we just say, uh, a family upbringing, you know, uh, some people are, bu- are brought up in this dysfunctional uh, environment in homes and similar things uh, can happen that way too would that be a, a possibility you know for, for our guys uh, Stephen Paddock
2: I would be surprised hmm. uh, because I deal with people all the time that have had traumatic experiences and I, I don't see this this complete about face. Uh, I would be more likely to look again at uh, traumatic brain injury, pathology Uh of some sort, or an ideological change that he um, grabbed onto, because we do know that there was a possibility from what he did alone would tell us there might be psychopathic tendencies. So if you have someone who has psychopathic tendencies, they're a risk taker, because he had been for much of his life, he was a um, he was a methodical person. He was totally capable of doing what was done and planning it out. Which, because you, you yeah. hope these things never come together in one person, the intelligence, the ability, the um, problem with maybe heredity of a psychological disorder. Could this have been a perfect storm? Hmm. that's a possibility,
0: wow, you know last time when you and my guest we talked about serial killers and yeah. uh now which uh, many of them don 't they they plan it out to a degree, but they don 't have a particular target. He had a particular target which he had that audience, but they go out there and they prowl and you know they mm-hmm. have an idea what they wanted to do and who's ever available uh, that 's what happens now in this and, and you mentioned before which is true, he, he killed from a distance. Now, yes. uh, as opposed to somebody killing another person close up, what is the psychosis of a person that does that, one who's, who's able to do it from a distance, but he maybe cannot do it on a one-to-one in person?
2: That is a possibility. Of course, everything is right. a possibility at this point. But an INTJ, especially with a, a high-I introvert, would be a more distant person now he had not from what i read had successful personal relationships the relate he'd had many relationships with women but they didn't last a long time um maybe this was someone for whatever reason was not able to connect uh i'm only saying this from what i have seen again we'd be back into the perfect storm now, whereas a cartel or gangs or domestic violence, yes, mm. they want up close and personal. This this man probably would not have been comfortable with that.
0: Yes. Eye to eye, I think he would not be comfortable. My guess is uh, Dr. Dorothy McCoy, uh, psychotherapist, and she's got a bunch of books out. And uh, we're talking about the Las Vegas shooter, Stephen Paddock. Now, I believe that. I believe... Uh, it would be probably I think as just me uh, it would be tough for him to to look a person in the eye and do it this is way uh is there such a thing because I agree he might not by realizing to a degree that these are human beings that's a possibility just like I don't, I don't know just uh, this is my thought he doesn't does it you know but what's planned out that's what's now he planned this out what kind of a person would plan out uh, a, a, a mass uh killing so to speak what Kind of impression would do that? Well, somebody
2: that is very meticulous, uh, a math this this was a math person. Uh, he was he very organized, uh, able to do um, able to do things that many people would not. As far as organization, uh, methodical planning, right. follow through that could be his personality type. Uh, we know that he was an accountant. We know he yeah. was with the IRS we know that he invested in real estate and that he was a successful gambler so he's able to do these things this was this would have been very easy for him at one time i wondered about someone else being there but now i still don't believe that this was entirely his idea really well, I'm still, unless it's yeah, pathology, it's, yeah. I would wonder about ideology, and that would have to come from yeah. someone else.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, he would not have gone out and found it by himself. He's taken a lot of trips. We don't know yeah. how he might have been influenced, but I can see no other reason that he would do something. It's certainly not a crime of passion, because probably this is not a passionate man, mm.
0: This is uh-huh. a very cognitive man. Very good. Hmm. So, you, you know, I mean, my, my thoughts were going through when I start trying to analyze it myself, and I I don't have your background in doing that. But I, you know, but I know, but I know about mental illness and somebody uh, repressed pain from childhood and, or pain from childhood. I, I understand that, but I don't know about doing something is terrible. Uh, uh, as this, but you, you know, there's a there's always somebody uh, you know, and we a, a conspiracy maybe possibly, or it's hard for me to believe that you just I hap happened to so on go with your line of thought. It's hard for me to believe that no one had any kind of an idea. You know, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's that easy to go into a hotel, especially if they know you, to bring in all this. Um, you know, weapons, and rifles, mm-hmm. and stuff like mm-hmm. that, and a- ammunition, I-, I don't know, you know, I, my, I was saying about that, cleaning people, but then they said he didn't have anyone in his apartment for three days, but my understanding, those weapons spend been there longer than three days.
2: It, that seemed to be unclear, I wasn't sure about that from the various things that I read, of course, the cart would help him to get them up there, right. the elevator, I would think in a really um, expensive hotel like that, they would would want to do that for you, but maybe you could avoid it. I don't know. Right. But, Mm -hmm. again, we have that pivoting point, and what would at this time in his life, when as far as we know, he has never been violent before. So I'm going to have to stay with, at this point, unless I learn something different, Mm -hmm. my theory is a perfect storm Hmm. or...
0: Um there's something to do with ideology, hmm. but what is ideology obviously the audience and I know what you're talking about but ideology as far as what we know he went shopping, he went to different areas when I say shopping, he was casing different locations right right, so that we know and looking for a particular floor window or whatever view he can have so how could so so one ideology would fit all wherever he went? In other words, there were different, There was this was country western. He looked, there was different venues. One was, I think, a rap show, and one was just a concert. One was, uh, what the heck was that? The uh, the stadium in Boston.
2: And right? those would be different types of people, too. One type right. of person is going to be at a rap show, yeah, and another yeah. part at a country music show. So that part doesn't sound political. I of course I don't know for certain. Maybe he was just looking for another reason. I, I don't yeah. know. But sometimes, and um, for instance, if you looked at the ISIS book, uh, I recently looked at a page um, because I was presenting at a conference on how we can influence people and how they go about doing. They actually have a book that they followed, which was not all that different from Hitler's. Oh. gobel's way of influencing that doesn't change through the years and evil evidently wow. so sometimes if there was some little crack in his armor if if they were someone not necessarily isis but some group uh were was able to say hey you know this is really the the wonderful thing to do this is not this is not killing. No, we don't do killing. And they, little by little, it's like the frog in hot water. Right. They will yeah. turn people around little by little by paying close attention to them, making mm. them feel important. Now, is that what happened? That would be my last guess, though. Yeah. I, I mean, he could have done it himself, but I just don't see why he would do it at this point. And ISIS is taking credit. They've done that twice.
0: Well well I I know well with we this well the ideology like like you mentioned a moment go doesn't fit on this. Uh, uh Doctor McCoy, you have a. Uh, I'm gonna take a, a guest on the phone that's calling in and wants to ask you a okay. question. Uh Richie on the line a question for Dr. Dorothy McCoy.
1: Yeah, Doctor McCoy, in your experience first of all terrific show, I appreciate everything you're doing. In your experience, Doctor McCoy, is there a way of predicting or preventing mm-hmm. somebody like this? through your experience, is it that the person's going to tell you what they want to do or something like that? Or can you find out by interviewing somebody or analyzing them that the possibility that they may be uh, doing a crime such as this? Hmm.
2: Okay. Now, if this is a perfect storm, this is an anomaly. This would be a very unusual situation. Now, let's say somebody is a psychopath and we were able to test them and we find out that they are a psychopath and they've done certain things in the past then we might be able to predict with some certainty in fact it's used in the court system now if a person is a psychopath that they are more likely to commit crimes Mm. again in fact sometimes they don't even let them out as soon on parole so something like that would be uh, would be possible, or if someone uh, did actually have pathology brain damage, and it was a part of the brain that had to do with violence, which usually usually it's not going to be anything like this because you've got to realize how difficult this was to pull off. You've got to be you've got to be at your best to do. Well, this. but
0: I th- I think the question is also is that. Uh, were there messages out there? Could somebody have seen this? Like when you when you talk to patients, or uh, uh, and and if you saw something that would indicate that the, uh, in, in your experience, has any psychotherapist have seen people that they uh, who are angry have a lot of anger, like uh, you know, like our guy we're talking about.
2: If somebody was extremely angry, right. and They told you, "I'm angry. Yes. I'm going to kill somebody." Yes. If you saw extreme anger, they don't necessarily have to tell you that. Right. There's that possibility that that person might commit an act of violence more than someone else, or if it was someone like uh, Holmes in uh, Colorado in the theater, that um, that was, uh, you know, a serious mental disorder. And I think he had told his psychiatrist something. Mm. But normally we would not see this. This is this is fairly unusual. In fact, if wow. someone tells us that they're going to kill somebody and we we believe they are and we know approximately what they're planning to do, we have to report it.
0: Right, right. Now, in other words, yeah, whether whether in other words, I think the question also was were, were there any red flags anywhere. You know
2: that I don't know with this person because with right. all the know. reading I have done. Now, his girlfriend said, she said Mary Lou that. She thought he had developed a mental disorder that he was in bed groaning and screaming. Yeah. That that does not sound like a mental disorder to me. Hmm. That he would be able to function and then he'd be in bed screaming and moaning. Uh, I would see that maybe with a pathology of the brain, but still, that would be a fairly that would be very very serious. So I don't know what to make of what she's saying.
0: Wow, well, just uh, uh, well, who knows? It's, 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 uh, there's uh, things to look into that he sent a hundred thousand dollars away, you know, and uh, that's uh, who knows? Maybe that be a gesture because he knew what he was going to do, and he knew he wasn't going to be around anymore, and he wanted to leave or something. That's uh, that's what I, I, one of my possibilities as far as that's concerned, you know, with his uh. Girlfriend, uh, you know we've got about a minute left. Talk about just just mention all your books that you have out there. <laughs> well, you have the so most, many. The most
2: recent one yes. is Return of the English Bulldog, which is a fiction about uh, Churchill. It's a fun book. It's a good read. Um, the rest right. of them are more psychology books.
0: Ah. Okay, return of the English Bulldog. I know we were both, I was always, a uh, believe, people wondered, well, how come I like Churchill? Because I, I thought he was a man's man, you know, even was a Churchill. kid, you know, so, uh, <laughs> and whatever, if it was the, if it was the wine or the cigars, who knows, you know, <laughs> with, with all the courage that he he had, you know, so, you, you know, with this, this particular, particular case, you know, it's just, uh, mind boggling it to what Stephen, uh, Paddock. but I, I like we said before, he's he's well known. He's a wealthy guy. Uh, he's uh, he's been a guest there pretty much, and they would carry his luggage for him. There's no two ways about it. They would bring it in for him. He wouldn't nothing to do with his luggage. You know, so I don't know. Those are questions law enforcement has to uh, to look into. You know, see. Uh, yeah. How, interesting you know, to know yeah they 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 would would have to, and uh you know looking for a particular view is not uncommon, you know, so no,
2: no, it's not I do want to say uh here at the last that I want to thank all the heroes that came forward during that um during that episode that helped people and save lives as well as the law enforcement and first responders
0: right, yeah, yes, yeah, a lot of uh t- uh True things came out about the human being, about the people and the first responders, and a lot of people that risked their lives and lost their lives. Perhaps, absolutely right. You know, it's a, a very sad thing. And uh, there's there's a little controversy. Did the, uh, did the law enforcement kill him or did he kill himself? That's a little up in the air, you know. I'm sure they know. They have to. Yes. Did they kill him or did he kill himself? That's what I mean. So,
2: I I don't know. I know he had an escape plan, which made more sense to correct. me. I did not see him as a uh, suicidal person.
3: That's mm. so.
2: I don't know why that uh, he was not able to carry out that uh, escape plan that the sheriff talked about.
0: You know, it's amazing. And then think about it. you mentioned that he he, he uh, pretty much. Uh, Uh, I was a a pretty much an organized person. Very. Yeah, he put, uh, he put cameras in in the hallway. I I mean, it's just uh, amazing. This was definitely planned out. I don't know how he was going to escape from that. I guess they would know, you know. Uh, my guest, Dr. Dorothy McCoy, you know, always goes fast when we talk about an interesting subject or person like you are. So, uh, uh, again, I'm sure I'll have you back again, Dr. Dorothy McCoy. Thank you. Okay, I'll uh, see you on Twitter.
3: All right. (laughs) Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. That was Dr. Dorothy and McCoy, known as Bones. Uh, This is Lou Tolano. Thanks for listening to Streetwise, and I'll catch you later.
1: You've been listening to Streetwise on the station that serves your community, WGBB AM 1240.